welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Um, first of all, I'd just like to give a big thank you to those who organized and worked so hard to put this together and to, in general, be of service to this meeting because it's been a really powerful experience for me to find it. Like, not when I was so, I mean, I was still new to recovery, but it was just so powerful to see that there were so many other young people like me. And um, yeah, to know that I wasn't alone. And it was just so powerful for me. I'm sorry about my voice. I'm just getting over something. So I hope you'll just bear with me. Um, So I just wanted to start talking a little bit about um, my story in short and then touch on something else as well. So if you would have told me when I was like 15 or 16 years old that I would be doing a 12-step program for sexaholism, I wouldn't have believed you. I was at that point in total denial about uh, my addiction despite being very deeply entrenched. Um, At the time, fantasy and masturbation and watching like lust content, I didn't know about porn. If I had, I would have been watching porn as well. Um, that was really what I was doing at the time. And I would have argued with you that like, I had never had sex before. And so I, and I had never talked to a guy in my life really because of religious um, restriction. So how could I be a sexaholic? Um, so meanwhile, I was progressively not functioning and my social life was in the tubes and, I was, you know, when I was in school with other girls, I was awkward and passive aggressive. My relationship with my family was on eggshells and I was just trying to avoid not exploding. Um, When I wasn't raging um, as an addict, I continued to stuff my emotions and I was basically like a ticking time bomb. Um, During this time, I also, my ego was out of control. I felt I was better or worse than everybody else around me. And I was trying to control food and my body size. And this resulted in just so many physical and mental ailments and obsessive behaviors. And in short, I was getting very, very sick very quickly. Um, On the outside, I still seemed pretty high functioning. Like I was getting good grades and no one really noticed my food obsessive uh, controlling behaviors or binging. And nobody knew about my late nights of acting out sexually. But, um, you know, still there were signs like my room was a mess and I wasn't able to keep on top of, um, you know, just keeping myself like just taking care of myself physically and stuff like that. So there were signs, but on the outside in school and stuff, like it was hard for teachers to believe when I started having to skip school and stuff like that because I was just like so weak physically and mentally I was just going crazy. Like it was hard for them to understand really what was going on. Um, So I just want to focus on like my higher power and all of this and how he arranged um, for me to be able to accelerate my addiction to the point where I could get into recovery without having as many consequences. Um, I started to notice this, especially when I started taking sponsees through um, the steps and seeing like how many much more like um, hard amends that they had to make. And I definitely had some amends that were hard for me to make, but it wasn't as pervasive and it didn't affect like more aspects of my life if I had been older. Um, And yeah, I wasn't, I, I was able to get into recovery without having acted out in person with anybody, which is a really big miracle. Um, So when I really started to hit bottom was when I was 17 and I got my own computer um, despite me protesting because I had this inner conviction. Like I know what's going to happen if I have that kind of free reign. Um, So I was looking for a suicide chat because I just felt like so, so alone. And like, I kind of felt like I reached the end of the line 
And instead of finding a suicide chat, I found chat rooms. And that's really where everything kind of spiraled out of control. And um, yeah, I got addicted to the lost and being losted after in the virtual, virtual world. And although like traumatic and upsetting and dangerous in its own way, um, I feel really grateful that like I didn't need to touch another person to be able to reach my bottom um, yet. And so I'm certain that if that didn't happen, if my addiction didn't accelerate and it's just stayed at like fantasy and masturbation and that kind of thing, I would have just like continued to the inner like spiritual addiction would have continued to get worse. And I would have either killed myself or ended up in an institution for all the like pathology that was exacerbated my, by my addiction, like the eating disorder, the depression, the panic attacks and anxiety. Um, or I would have had to leave my faith tradition and pursue all the codependent emotional relationships that I was building online. Um, so it could have been years and years of much more suffering and greater consequences before I really figured out that I needed an essay. Um, maybe I never would have. So today I'm so grateful that like my family doesn't need to know about my addiction. And like, I have, I do have a brother that I disclose to, and he's really supportive, but I only had to lose five years of my life to my addiction years that are relatively easily made up. And I got into recovery uh, about three months before turning 18. Um, Don't tell anybody. (laughs) Um, But I really got into the program like after turning 18 and got sober a little under two months after my 18th birthday in my senior year of high school. So um, yeah, I'm super grateful that I was still in high school because as busy a time as that was, like I now realize that it would have been so much like harder to find time to work the steps. And um, I worked the steps both in SA and CODA at the time. And I was living at home, so I didn't have to worry about like other responsibilities of being an adult. So um, being so young, um, higher power also worked it out that I could get um, sober on phone meetings in a way that was comfortable for me. I don't know if like being that young, I would have been comfortable right when I got into the program to go to -to face-to-face meetings. So I'm super grateful that like higher power worked that out for me and I was able to do it in a way that was safe for me. So um, yeah, I just want to express gratitude to the people in the program who, when I came in, despite being so young and not being exposed to uh, people like you who were also young, um, that there were people who believed in me and who didn't say to me, like, you're, this is not, like the right time for you to come into SA. Like you need to go act out for a few more years because I could not afford to at that point. Um, Of course, there were some people who like gave me a little bit of a hard time about it um, and some sponsees who didn't want to work with me because they didn't feel comfortable being that I was so much younger than them. But overall, there were so many people who were, you know, so, so supportive and like believed in me and treated me like an adult, including my sponsor who, did not give me special treatment um, for being so young and made me work the steps just like everybody else. So um, one topic that I did want to just touch on is the fact that um, I feel like this program, not only does it like, you know, give me the chance to work the steps and create a new life, but I feel like it keeps me young. And I feel like that's a message that, you know, sexaholics everywhere who aren't young can connect with also. Um, in my addiction, I just felt so completely dead and like I was dying all the time and I just felt old and people even came over to me and like said like, oh, you're like, I thought that you were like, you know, this age, which was like five years older than me because I just acted really old and like not, um, I wasn't able to be spontaneous. I was very rigid. And this program really gives me the opportunity to like open up and become a really, spontaneous and curious person, which I feel like is the energy of being a young person. Um, So if you'll allow me, I just wanted to read a tiny bit from the big book on page 152 and just kind of touch on this idea that essay um, or a 12-step program can keep us young. Um, Okay, so on page 152, um, it says, we have shown how... So 
okay, inwardly he would give anything to take half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try the old game again, for he isn't happy about his sobriety. He can't picture life without alcohol or for us acting out. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with acting out or without it. Then he will know loneliness as such, such as few do. He will be at the jumping off place he will wish for to end. We have shown how we got out from under. You say, yes, I am willing. But am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum like some righteous people I see? I know you must get along without acting out, but how can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? Yes, there is a substitute that is vastly more, and it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in the NSA. There you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at, at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find the fellowship, and so will you. So for me, this is just so true. Like working the steps and being in this fellowship just gives me the, a whole new opportunity to engage in life and to, um, yeah, just to continue to watch and other people grow and become become younger almost like it's a really amazing thing like hope gives us that energy that just other people even who don't know that we're in a 12-step program at least in my experience like they notice something about us that's new and spontaneous and beautiful um so yeah I'm excited to continue to grow with all of you and to grow up in SA because that's really been my experience from the outside it could look like oh, she just like grew out of all these antisocial behaviors. But the truth was that I found essay. So thank you so much for listening and I'll pass back. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you everyone for making uh, this anniversary possible. I was a friend at the beginning when uh, Kelsey, she reached out to me. Hey, you want to volunteer to talk? And I said, yes, but deep in myself, I was, oh, no, man, I just, I have this fear of, of talking in, in front of people, but now I'm here. I cannot go back, but I'm grateful that, oops, I'm grateful that I have this opportunity to, to change that. And that's because of all of you. So yeah, I, everything began when, when I was, four uh and yeah i was i wasn't in with my mom or parents i was uh with my aunt and her family and then after that it was developing and just since i was a kid i i, I was fan, fan fantasizing about women older women than i the and when I came to Spain, when I was about seven, here in Spain, it was so, it's just like, you can see porn everywhere and, and it's normal. So I was, I was growing up thinking that uh, pornography and anything related to, to it was just normal, you know, in, in class. The teachers would say, so who watched this, this movie, this poor movie? And, I, you know, and, and it's, it's horrible how, how society is nowadays. And it's just so normal, but it's not, of course. So, yeah, it's just because I thought it was normal. That was an excuse for me to, to keep uh, indulging into pornography and fantasy and and it's just, yeah, I'm nervous. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, I grew up with that mentality. And then I remember at age 14, getting my first computer. And pff, yeah, that was, it couldn't be worse. That, that was the beginning of everything. Before in the past, then everything was here. But then I could uh, put that into images and yeah, that, that just made it way worse. So yeah, after that, I, I, I met people, virtually women, and I just was feeling my addiction, like 
crazy. And I had this issue about connecting with people with uh, in school, with friends. And I just acted like they wanted me to act. But, and I didn't care about relationships at all. I just, well, you know, but yeah, I think that that was all addiction because I just wanted to isolate myself. I didn't want to hang out. Hey, Jose, come, come with us. And, and I was like, no, I'd rather stay home, you know, because I have the computer. I have all this, this uh, not real life. But yeah, I never had that connection. I, I just treated people like uh, things like, I didn't care about anyone, just about myself. And yeah, growing up, then yeah, I, I wasn't religious either. I met, uh, I met God when I was 20. I'm 28 right now. And yeah, that was the, the first time I started to, to have like a spiritual awakening. But then it made it worse because I had this addiction and, and now I had to respond to, to this divinity that, that, that I created. And it just was stressful. It was depressing that in the past I wouldn't feel so bad. But then now, because I have this God and he says, this is this and this, I, I couldn't handle it. I, I just had this depressions moment of just wanted to kill myself because I felt unworthy. I, I was thinking like, what is the point of me, uh, of me uh, existing? Like, I'm just not worthy at all. I'm, I don't have anything to give to society. I just want to isolate myself and keep feeding my addiction. But yeah, luckily that changed. And, and that was when, when I met, uh, Essay. It was hard to get an essay because here in Spain, you know, the program is anonymous, but here in Spain is more like extremely anonymous. So it's really hard to get to meetings. And I couldn't get into one here because I didn't meet, uh, meet the requirements. <laughs> so, yeah, I decided to go to the United States and, and, and try it there because I heard that the groups in the United States were really good. I guess that's, I don't know if that's good news, you know, but yeah, I'm grateful that, that, that I'm not alone and there are more people like me. So yeah, I met the group and finally for the first time I, I could relate to someone because I always felt like nobody could understand me. Nobody could uh, like, I couldn't be honest. I always had to hit myself, this uh, addict that I had in front of people. And yeah, they thought like, oh, Jose, how good he is. Uh, but by the, by the uh, by way, my name is Jose Antonio. So yeah, don't think that I'm using Antonio just to cover my, you know. But uh, yeah, it's just so hard for me to, to be two different people. But when I came to a stay, that, that changed. I, I didn't, I felt like I didn't have to hide anymore. I could just be myself. And, and for the first time, I, I could connect with people and understand that I wasn't alone. I, I didn't have to. It was good just to, to know that there were people that they were sharing the same issues as I. Uh, as I do had have yeah whatever so yeah so right then it was hard in the beginning to to stay sober in the program it was really really hard but I just had to to that willingness of like of wanting to to improve now I'm in the right place now I I can start here is the 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 perfect moment and the perfect people to begin with. So yeah, now I, I'm grateful that, that I discovered this, this problem of addiction being young, because that means I have, I have more time to kind of fix it, but to know how to live with it. And 
yeah now th- I, that this is what i love about the group the the yana say i was when i started doing meetings online uh, i was always with old people and it was hard for me to relate but then i was scrolling down through that document and i said i was still young people and yeah that was the first meeting i came here and i felt so good so uh like there were young people i wasn't the the only one so yeah no because i'm young i have like this uh excuse of well because you're young you you can have sex and all this stuff because that's the time or the right time but that that just uh a lie and now that i've been getting sobriety one day at a time that's when i started to know who i am and um so it's hard in the beginning thank you very much i wasn't keeping time i thought i was going to be shorter since i don't like to speak to talk but yeah uh it's just that base that that foundation that that i had to get uh first starting by being sober and but yeah sober but not well didn't work either so yeah, i need to apply the recovery into into sobriety as well and yeah i'm not alone that's that's also something that i love about the program i couldn't anything that i tried in the past to try to live with myself it, it didn't work but when i came into the program and it was also hard to to reach out to people because of how reserved i am how how shy and how much i isolate myself but once i i broke that chain that was uh, holding me it just feels so good to just connect to someone and and it's not only about uh just sharing my my problems but also listening to people and i just it's not everything just about me so yeah i'm just grateful for the sobriety that i've been getting that has been uh helping me to to see who i am uh my defects my character defects that i need to take care of and i know that all the progress i've done it's because of the fellowship because of you this group and all the groups and yeah just just grateful that i had the opportunity to to find essay because i don't know what i would be right now i just know that i would be dying slowly but it feels it feels good to live one day at a time and just worrying worrying about what i have in front of me and yeah just thanks for the for the meeting today for the effort that has been put into it and thank you for giving me the uh, the opportunity to say something and with that I'll pass thanks yeah my name is feral and um i'm a sexaholic um i joined sa when i was 21 um and i'm 27 now uh and uh, i'm very i'm very happy being in sa especially being in sa you know in my 20s you know i i i have the feeling that sa is is uh, you know bringing me up in in the, you know or it's is sort of uh yeah i can really grow up in sa and um but uh so when i came into sa like i said i was 21 there was this meeting in the netherlands and uh on my first meeting there was one guy he was like three times older than i was uh and and he had the exact same modus operandi that i had uh that was on my first meeting and and i knew immediately like okay here i i here i have to go more often you know because i was really thinking that i would take my secrets into my grave you know and i was i feeling so 
um, so guilty and ashamed for for all my acting out. And here there was some guy on a meeting, and he was just sharing openly about it, you know. Um, and that was that was such a miracle for me. Um, and uh, but this guy, he was like three times older than I was, you know. So uh, even though I could like relate to him so much, and I was so thankful that he was there. I was just too scared to confront him, you know. I, I it, it just felt weird, you know. Um, but there was this one other guy on on a meeting, um, on a Dutch meeting, and uh, but um, but he wasn't from the Netherlands. He was actually here on vacation, uh, and he was m around my age. I, I think he was twenty three at the time or something, and uh, uh, and he was a couple years sober and. Uh, and he was the only one I felt comfortable in the beginning with talking to, you know. So uh, he was the first guy I, uh, you know, fellowship with. And uh, and I asked him to be my sponsor. Um, but uh, like I said, he was on vacation here. So he had to leave, you know, that, that following month. And uh, and I felt like I was left over, you know, <laughs> on my own devices there on, on the meeting. Um having to connect with all these people that are sometimes thrice older than I was, you know? Um, and, um, but, uh, but I had no other choice, you know? So I, I went to, I keep coming to the meetings and one thing that I really had to learn was to, uh, you know, get comfortable with, uh, with people. And, and in my early recovery, I, uh, I got the slogan, uh, don't look to the differences, but to the similarities. And, um, and, and that was difficult, but, um, but I, uh, was really trying to, you know, to do that. So what I did was I called the, this fellow who I felt at least connected with, you know, the, 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 the fellow that was, you know, I don't know, I just didn't felt connected to, and I called him and, um, uh, and I, and I, I, I don't remember what we're talking about, but I do remember that I was calling in. I was so afraid. And when I was talking with him, I, I do re remember realizing like, oh, wait, this, 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 this guy is just exactly like me. You know, there's so many years difference, but uh, it was exactly the same, you know. And, and, and the funny thing was, is that we actually had a lot of things in common. Uh, but I was ne I was never being able to find out that if uh, you know if I didn't make that first call, um, and um, so yeah, eventually um, I couldn't stay sober in SA at, at the beginning. I I relapsed, I relapsed, and um, um, I started uh, to uh, to. Um, uh, to to do the work uh, to to do step work uh, to I, I found a new sponsor and um, um, and and I, I was I, I think I did all the things that they suggested me to do but I still was relapsing you know and on the last relapse that I had the last binge that I had um, I uh, I acted out for like three days in a row and. Um, uh, for me, that was, I guess, my um, my bottom, and it was not exactly because it was three days in a row, but it was the first time that I was really acting out while I didn't want to. It was really the first time. All those times before that, I I uh, regretted acting out, but during the acting out, I was it was still giving me something. But the last time I acted out, I was saying to myself in my head, like, I don't want to do this. You know, uh, and that was new for me. And after that, I was so done with lust that every time I felt triggered, you know, or I felt a fantasy coming up, or I had these ideas of how I could act out, um, I um, I prayed. I started to pray because this was the first time in my life I really didn't want to lust anymore. Um, and, and so something changed in me that last relapse, you know, there was a sincere uh, desire not to lust anymore because it was just not helping me. 
And I felt like it finally outweighed something, you know, the, the last relapse finally um, gave more negative emotions with lost than positive emotions. Um, and by that time I have done my step one already formally with my, my, my first sponsor. And then also with my second sponsor formally, you know, but that, this was in my heart the first time that I did, did, um, you know, did a step four, uh, step one in my heart. And, and I, and I was working the steps already, but at this point it started to make real sense. You know, it started finally to make sense, um, uh, you know, what the purpose for me was, and that's, was to have a spiritual awakening, you know, um, and how I describe it is, is that I look and act through the world differently, you know, and that started with, with stopping with lust, you know, I didn't want lust anymore in my life. That was the first part of the spiritual awakening, um, uh, you know, and, and, and a very essential one, you know, because, um, I was running away from myself with lust. So I could not have a spiritual awakening if, if I wasn't there, you know? <laughs> uh, and so uh, it was crucial for me that that attitudes changed, that I didn't want lust anymore. But, um, but suddenly, I, you know, the steps made much more sense to me. Um, uh, because while when the lust was gone, I needed something else, and I really liked what Rina Esther also, uh, you know, shared uh, before about the uh, about the fellowship being a substitute, um, and uh, and for me that's really true. Like the connection is really a substitute, and and so when was when lust was gone, I. I felt all the disconnection. I felt for the first time all my resentments and all my fears. It was horrible. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes uh, I hear people say, you know, the good thing about sobriety and recovery is that you get your feelings back. But the worst thing about recovery and sobriety is that you get your feelings back. <laughs> and and that, was, that was the case for me. I really disliked, you know, uh, having to experience my emotions and my resentments and stuff but you know now i had a different attitude you know and now i could um apply the principles of this program um now i, I want to apply the principles of the program you I've know? got three minutes uh, because thank you because i didn't have that lust anymore i didn't want that lust anymore so now i had to do it something differently you know and um yeah like my my disease is the old way of life, you know. It's the old my disease is the old way of thinking, and my old way of behaving, my old way of acting. I need to have a new way of acting and a new way of thinking, and 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 I get those things. I reach those things in the principles of the program. You know, it starts with step four, where I really. Uh, going to see like okay what are my character defects you know what are the stinking thinking and stinking stinking acting that i did you know and it's not about um justice you know i don't make a step forward to see like who was you know um who was to blame for this you know no it's about uh, looking in an in inventory like what are what thinking and what behavior doesn't work for me anymore um and i can give an example because when i was uh, in my first period of uh, essay, I was still living it with my parents and I could get like in this very furious um, <laughs> conversations with my, my father, you know, and sometimes uh, I could be, I could be totally right, you know, but still I would have this, um, this huge argument with my father and we would yell and we would scream and we would scold to each other. Uh, and, um, and I could be totally right, but still I was totally unhappy, you know? And so every time I have this choice, you know, I could be right or I could, you know, um, look exactly uh, with 
boundaries, you know. And um, so I have to give up my rights to be right, you know. Uh, and um, and I rather choose to um, forgive my father. And and so what I had to do in the situations, and I found out through the principles of the program, um, that that I uh, could put a boundary there. Uh, I could say to my father when this this argument happens, like, okay, can we talk about something else? And um, this was the first time I did that with my with my father in recovery. Uh, I've never done that before. I always acted on my ego. I wanted to be right. I wanted to be right. But this this was the first time that I did this in my life to um, you know change my behavior in the relationship instead of my trying to change my father. And this this sorry time's up. Okay, I'm gonna end there. Um, and this you know, changed my whole relationship with my father, you know, um, he didn't change at all. I changed, you know, I, I acted differently. I, uh, I changed my thinking towards him and my behavior. And uh, now I have a great <laughs> relationship with my father. He called me yesterday and he started to talk about stuff again. And, uh, and I changed the subject again and then we had a good conversation and, um, um, Basically, I, I, I will end with this. Uh, it brings me to a point that I begin to love my relationships uh, so far that I don't need to lust anymore. And uh, for that, I'm grateful. Uh, and uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. First one, uh, thank, you for the, thank you for the speakers. Thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Uh, first question to all the panelists is how do you deal with sponsoring people much older than you? Um, Rena asked her sexaholic, I guess I'll start. Um, that's a really great question. Um, my experience has been that all of my sponsees have been older than me, some a lot older, some just um, maybe like a decade or so. But um, I guess like when it comes down to it, it really is just the same thing. Like I just expect that around the same things that I would expect of me, except there were some situations where sponsees had kids where I had to learn, like it brought up in me, um, you know, I had to learn to be a little bit more understanding because I think as somebody who's single, who never had kids before, like I can kind of put that on my sponsee to like put in the same amount of time and effort that I did um, not really taking into account that they have other people in their life um, so just my experience has been like giving them a little bit more flexibility in that sense of like if they want to be like you know um, having their kid with them if they're not being really disruptive like in the I work with people over video so in that kind of thing um, has proved more helpful than like being really rigid with them because then they're like, well, you know, I have kids and you don't really understand that. So I guess just like admitting where I don't really have experience and kind of letting their higher power guide them in that area and where they feel they need more flexibility. But other than that, um, it's been overall pretty much the same as somebody who's not younger than me, but like single also. So with that, I'll pass to the other panelists. Thanks, Rina. <clears throat> uh, Farrell, sexolic. Uh, yeah, I relate to this question as well. I've had several sponsees who, like, during our relationship would say, yeah, but you're younger. <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't have kids, you know? And, um, and, and I relate to that attitude you know, because I think sometimes that I'm special as well, you know? Uh, but I'm not, you know, uh, there's so many, so many people who have gone through before me and, um, and, and I can share from what I, I can share from what I've learned from them as well, you know, and, and often, you know, th these are the things that are, uh, you know, uh, different, like, um, or the children or the wife, but, you know, um, those are just externals. Um, I have to apply the same principles to all, you know, all kind of relationships. So I've not 
you know, personally experienced um, that I had a disadvantage not being old enough or as old as my sponsee. I don't see that as a disadvantage. Um, so uh, <laughs> I've had times that my sponsees did say that and and I've been fired one time because my sponsee thought he would be better off <laughs> with uh, with an older sponsor, you know, and uh, and so I, I I don't I don't hold him uh, back, but you know, here he was, you know, he was asking me for help, you know, so he he did saw some sometimes some something in me that he wanted, you know, and uh, and yeah, I don't I don't think it's about the externals. I don't I, I think it's about the internals, you know, my 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 attitudes, and that you know I have to practice them regardless. You know, if I have a wife or children, and they are exactly the same if I have a wife or not, or if I have children or not. So, yeah, that's that's my uh, experience. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Next question that we have is uh, how do you so this is a longer question. Sometimes I get dragged into societal norms for behaviors of people in their 20s. The question is. How do you remember that you aren't just another 20-year-old and it's okay for others outside the program to engage in certain behaviors, but for me as a sexaholic, it's deadly? Um, I guess I'll start again. Um, that's a great question, right now, sexaholic. Um so, yeah, that is a really great question because I think it's so easy for me to, like, you know, be finally living my life as, like, you know, at least, like, when I was 19 and now 20 and going on 21, like, being like, okay, like, now I can actually live my life as a, you know, young adult because, like, before I was just so isolated and whatever. So it's so easy to now that I have friends outside of the program to, like, get caught up um, and they're like, oh, like this new like pop video or whatever it is. And um, I've actually had to have that conversation with my roommate because um, I haven't disclosed her, but just like um, sharing with her when she wanted to watch some, even like it sounds dumb, but I don't know if you know what Barbie is, but she is really into like Barbie movies. And I was really into that as a kid, but just the whole fantasy world for me, like even that can be really toxic. And I just had to like, after I committed to doing that with her, I had to like take a step back and be like, whoa, like, I don't think I can handle that. Um, and obviously like movies and stuff like that, each person for themselves has to like gauge like where they're at and what they can handle. And um, that's like everyone's uh, decision, their own decision. But for me, it like set off warning bells because, you know, it could lead to us watching other Disney movies or other things like that. And I just had to like, say like, I just, I just can't handle that right now. Um, but yeah, I think it's like when it, when it sets off that warning bell in my head where I'm like, it's going to cross a line, then I have to be able to speak up and, um, like say where it's going to affect my sobriety or potentially affect my sobriety. Um, but I think it's not like a one size fits all thing. Like everybody has to be able to sometimes it takes like testing the waters a little bit and like, you know, seeing where you can go until it um, starts to affect you. But yeah, sobriety is definitely needs to come first. And, you know, I think the people in my life who are now my closest friends have come to like accept my new boundaries and they, they're not going to suddenly be like, Oh, we don't want to hang out with you just because I'm, I'm putting up a line for where I feel most comfortable. So I'll pass with that. Yeah, I, I I don't know how to answer the question because I don't. The only friends that I hang out with with people from SA. So yeah, now I'm in college, but yeah, I just go to college, sit in the first row, and then leave. But in the past, uh, when if I would go uh, like to bars and and pubs. It were all these people like uh, wanting me to, for example, drink or watch certain uh, stuff on the phone. And yeah, in the beginning, I was uh, afraid of 
speaking up because I've, I've been always like being quiet, not sharing, but I cannot expect people to know how I am if I don't tell them, uh, like, for example, my struggles, what things I cannot uh, do, see. So, yeah, to me, it's very important to to be honest with people and, and tell them without being afraid. Now that I'm in in SA, since the first moment I joined, I I just thought like I just need to be honest, and if I need to that I have uh, problems with a specific stuff, I just said it out loud, and I don't need to feel ashamed of who I am anymore. But yeah, I need to remember that it's been said that recovery comes first, and if my life is not aligned with recovery, then the rest uh, doesn't matter at all. So yeah, it's hard for me still to speak up uh, for me. But yeah, thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Antoine. Uh, I've got a few questions here. One says, uh, thanks for your ESH. How does working these steps look like in your day-to-day life? Uh, Ferris, Exotic? Yeah. Um, for me, um, I try to, um, I, I forgot how my sponsor said this, uh, to lose my, uh, to, to wear my program as a loose shirt or something. He, he, he says it like that. How I personally uh, do it is um, I, I call, I have an intake partner every, every day and I call, I call him or he calls me every day. And, uh, and we uh, talk about uh, four things every day. Um, we share our lust program, top plate, and gratitude. And for me, this is sort of step 11, you know? Um, when, when I talk about my top plate, I I uh, I, it's not that I just dump my problem, you know? I, I share, um, I share, share the, the issue. Then I share what my character defects are, you know. Um, then I ask myself in, in uh, you know, in, uh, in, in prayer, um, loud, um, you know, what are the defects, oh, sorry, what are the character traits, the virtues that God wants me to do in this situation? And, uh, and then I pray for the willingness. And I do this every morning, you know, to, to see like, okay, what would God have me be this, this day? And, uh, and, and, you know, that, that, is, that is for me working, uh, practicing the principles of, in all areas of my life, you know. Uh, so whenever I go through the day and this, the situation happens or this issue occurs, you know, then I've prayed about it already. And I know, okay, this, this is what God wants me to, to do. Uh, so that is one thing. That is how I practice these principles in all areas of my life, you know, to uh, to pray for the virtues. And one other thing for my for me is uh, in my program is to sponsor, you know, working with others, helping other people. For me, that's like that's essential. I I could not be sober if I was not doing that. You know, I have to get rid of my egoism, and with uh, to do that, I have to care about others, and I do I can do that. Uh, the best by helping sexaholics, you know, my sexualism is, is my, my best talent, you know, God has given me this great talent and I couldn't, I can use it for evil or I can use it for good. And, um, and that, that is a big part of my program as well. So I, I try to make more time than my ego think I have for the people. Uh, yeah. To help. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, another question says, uh, why is it important to have a separate group for young people? Doesn't separating ourselves go against the idea that we are all the same regardless of our age? Um, that's a good question because I definitely feel a similar way when like, there's like all women's meetings and stuff. Um, but I think each of those separations sometimes has like a benefit to it. Otherwise there wouldn't be like all men's meetings or all women's meetings or uh, same sex lust meetings or things like that. I think, um, 
from my experience, it just gives like a feeling of like, you're not alone. And um, I, I just like, I don't know if this is true, but my impression has been like whenever um, I, I've been a long time member of a certain phone meeting for many, many years since I got into the program. Um, not many, many, but like almost three years. And um, yeah, like whenever there's a young person on and usually those people are not connected with like the WhatsApp groups and the Zoom meetings and stuff because like that's like their first landing platform. Um, like they'll just be there for a little bit and then they'll leave. Um, I don't know if that has what to do with the fact that they don't feel like they belong, but I know for myself coming onto that phone meeting and there was not a lot of young people there. Like I did doubt myself at the beginning. And I think that's why it did take a little bit extra for me to really start working the program and get serious about it. it was like, I was like, this is for older people. Like I need to go act out more for a longer time to be able to like qualify, even though that's not really a real qualification um, to be a certain age and have certain experiences. But I think it's important, like in my experience to, see that like you don't have to end up acting out with people or you don't have to like you know have had a long career of acting out and like be arrested and like all these things to be able to reap the benefits of recovery so that's all I'll share oh Antonio do do you want to touch upon that could you repeat the question please do you want to touch upon this topic? No, I mean, the, oh. could you read the question again? Thanks. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> the question is, like, why is it important <clears throat> to have a separate group for young people? And isn't that isolating, isolation? Thanks. Uh, well, I just think my being asked for it. Like, I don't need to, to be thinking about uh, just relating with younger people. It's like if I see Dominican people because I'm from the Dominican Republic, I feel attracted because like somehow I want to talk to them because I share something with them. So I think it's the same with young people because I young, I am young. I want just, I don't know, to me it's just normal. And I guess it's... Uh, to me, sometimes it's, it's, it's because of how I've been young. Also, it's, I don't know, because of old people, they kind of, at least what I live, they're grumpy, you know? So I kind of associated uh, all the people with, like, they're so serious. But when, when, I'm, hanging around, uh, when I'm hanging around with young people from SA, I, I can make jokes. And I have a kid in myself, you know? And I think that everyone has a kid. And sometimes I, I say or do stupid things, but yeah, I think that I, could, I couldn't get the same connection with uh, someone younger and with someone older. It wouldn't be the same, but still that doesn't mean that I just I need to isolate myself only to talk with uh, young people. It's just at the end is I have, I share this problem. It doesn't matter if that person is 90 and if I'm 28, at the end, last is is the same disease, and uh, of course there are aspects that uh, they are not the same because of the gap of age. But I think generally speaking about last is just the same. I don't know if that meant anything, but thanks. Thanks. Another question says, how do you deal with friends or family who normalize your sexual struggles or minimize them? Uh, yeah, uh, Ferris, um, that's a good question. Um, how do you deal with friends <clears throat> or family who normalize your sexual struggles? Uh, well, how... How I would deal with them is I would try to convince them. <laughs> and that is, that's very dangerous, you know, for me. And that's why I'm very cautious now when I share um, my, uh, my story with people outside SA because uh, I am still very codependent sometimes. And if, if people don't, you know, give me recognition, 
uh, I will try to get my recognition, yeah. So I would share my step one and stuff, and that was just not appropriate at all. And so how I deal with this is, is I try not even to talk about, you know, my uh, sexual struggles, uh, you know, with people outside SA. Um, in SA, I have enough people I can talk about with my sexual uh, struggles. Plenty, you know, and those people understand my sexual struggles. People outside SA will not, you know, I had, I even I had difficulties to grasp grasp the idea of powerlessness. That was a concept that was very difficult for me to understand, and I was powerless. Let alone people who are not powerless, you know, for them is is a concept, you know, alien, you know, so. Um, so I experience every time when I'm talking about essay and my, especially my powerlessness with people outside the program, it's always ends up in miscommunication, you know, disharmony. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, and discussions and, you know, so I, 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 I just talk about essay in general to them, but not about my struggles, uh, just to protect me and the relationship. And uh, yeah, that's my experience. Thank you. Lina, Antonio, do you want to touch upon this topic? I have another question here. Sure. Uh, uh, what was your step two experience like coming to believe in a power greater than yourself that could restore you to sanity? Um, I'll share briefly on this and then if anyone else wants to um, share. Um, so I had a formal kind of step two process, which was like writing out um, the traits that I would want in a higher power. And um, and then I just read those to my sponsor. And then she was like, great, that piece of paper is your what your higher power is. And so um, that list has kind of uh, changed a little bit as I grew in my recovery. But overall, that's the um, that's the flimsy read as the big book says that kind of is uh, my concept and that's been enough for me um, and whenever I notice that I'm angry at my higher power or something like that I always like think back to, to that list and realize that I took back my old higher power um, and then kind of the like I started listening how I really kind of identified that I was a sexaholic and needed this program was I listened to a lot of Dove G's um, talks um, that were on a certain platform. And when I started to really recognize that I was really like messed up with my concept of God was like, he was talking about how he used to see his higher power as a jerk. And I was like, yeah, oh my gosh, like I treat my higher power either like Santa Claus or like a jerk. And um, like, he's out to get me and all these things. So in short, that was really my journey um, before even starting the steps of realizing that my higher power concept was all wrong. And then just that simple process of like writing out what I wanted higher power to be um, just felt so right. And what I came out with was something that, um, yeah, has really served me until now. So um, yeah, thank you for that question and whoever else wants to touch on that. Antonio, thanks, uh, Drena. Uh, yeah, my experience with my higher power. Uh, so, for example, uh, when I was coming to the first minutes of essay, I, I just was hearing people and they were speaking about how good their higher power was. And, and I'm like, how's it possible that your higher power can love you even still you're an addict because of all the horrible things we're doing and how unworthy we are. But just by being there, and I guess that being shy kind of helped me because every time I went to maintenance, I was just quiet and just listening. And at the end, I just assimilated that my higher power would love me and no matter what. And what helped me a lot was to not see this higher power like he's like there. He's like impossible to reach. I'm, I'm not worthy at all. I'm this small she was kind of like 
kind of more like a friend having like a friend like he's a friend and and not uh imagining like god to be so powerful and me so 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 small so yeah just thinking that my higher power is just another person that has more power than me and that i can just speak with him no matter what even if i'm angry or, or not because he just wants me to 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 stay connected with him and if sometimes that means that i have to be grumpy with him and, and, and tell him uh, stuff that i don't like he still uh, loves me because he also wants to hear my opinion even though i'm wrong you know but yeah just uh <laughs> having that that imagination that god is not that far away from me like i can reach him it's it's not like i hope you understand that <laughs> Thanks, Antonio. Thanks, Antonio. Yeah. Uh, a topic that we've touched upon a little. How do you deal with your parents? Did you uh, disclose to them? Ferris uh, Exotic. Antonio left. Oh, no, Antonio. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, uh, um, for me, it's very easy now because I don't live with them anymore. <laughs> But it was very difficult when I was in, in uh, you know, in my first period of essay when I was still living with them. And, uh, and, and as I already touched on in, in, my, in my talk, you know, uh, the most important thing for me was to change my behavior towards them, you know, and my, uh, my reaction. And, uh, and, I, and I had to give up a lot of things. Um, um, you know, what I... What, what the program also gave me and i'm so thankful for is is uh is my gratitude towards my parents you know uh this program really helps me to get rid of my ego and rid of my selfishness and uh and then in recovery i i learned to see how much love my parents actually have for me you know it's it's amazing and while i was doing my step four i was seeing how much love they were actually trying to give me, but I was just throwing it away, throwing it away because of my ego. And, and part of, you know, part of my amends to my father and mother was also that I was so ungrateful towards them that I never said thank you. So one thing I, I try to learn in recovery and try to do is say thank you to my parents, you know, Thank you for all the love and unconditional love that 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 they are giving to me you know um to acknowledge their love you know that was one one harm that i inflicted upon them that i that i you know took their love for for granted and uh yeah i can i cannot imagine how that would feel as a parent you know to give so much love to your child and he's just throwing it away you know and um so um so thankful for recovery that I can see that now. And sometimes when I when I hear fathers in SA, you know, uh, talking about, you know, bringing up a child, I'm, it touches me, you know, because I see I see my parents in them as well now, um, and then uh, and I see that love and that that care and stuff. And, uh, and for me, that's very important to uh, to realize. Uh, yeah, to respect my parents. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you. We can let one of the panelists answer the question. Brina, if you want to chime in on that, we have one question after that, and we're going to wrap it up. Um, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I really liked what Pharaoh shared about that. It definitely resonates with me. Um, yeah, my relationship with my, with my parents in early recovery was kind of... Um, tense because I really was trying to, you know, just like I kept my addiction a secret from them, I was trying to keep recovery a secret from them, but it was a little bit um, almost as difficult because I also had to keep my door locked. And like when I was on calls with my sponsor and like working with sponsees and like, I was like, what are you doing? Like for all these hours and stuff. Um, and like, I had to print out certain things and like, it was like, it was almost as hard as like hiding my addiction to like go around like a spy, like trying to like print things out and like, um, yeah, but eventually, um, yeah, I really changed like Farrah was sharing, like how I saw my parents and how I interacted with my parents, but it was difficult in recovery too. 
um, to try to get the things that I needed um, while feeling like paranoid that they were going to find out. And like, you know, as much as like they wouldn't have been upset knowing I was like on chat rooms with random guys, like I think my mom still would have been upset to know that I was like doing a 12 step uh, essay calls with like random people that I didn't know. Um, but I think it just came down to like survival instinct of like, I knew this is something I have to do. And like, at the end of the day, I knew if my parents really understood what was going on, that they would want me to do this too. So I just did the best that I could to like balance being respectful and, um, working my program. But sometimes those, because of the fear that I was experiencing, like I didn't handle situations in the best way. So like I had to make amends um, to them for that. But yeah, like overall, just trying my best to like, you know, put recovery first, but also not like neglect and harm my family in the process. So that'll pass. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.